It's really about how do you get people bought in and excited about your plans for financial crime, for example? How do you get them to buy into the strategy that you're proposing for that area in terms of development? And then hopefully when it comes down to the actual numbers piece of it, people are already kind of bought into that direction of travel and how that fits with the company's strategy. Welcome to The Laundry, the podcast connecting AML, compliance and financial crime to the real world. I'm your host, Marit. I'm the CEO of Strice. And in this episode, we are asking, how should you be spending your financial crime budget? The start of a new year often means the Benjamins are flowing and big plans being put into place. Statistics from LexisNexis suggest that almost 34 billion pounds are spent each year on financial crime compliance by financial services in the UK only. So you can imagine on a global scale. So how do you make sure that all the spending is going in all the right places? And in today's episode, we will discuss the challenges of getting budget signed off internally, the essential spending for fintechs and banks of all sizes, and what is left for experimentation. To dive into this topic, I'm here with Emma Hagen, Chief Risk and Compliance Officer at Clear Bank. Welcome to The Laundry, Emma. It's a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Can't you tell the listeners about you, your background and something about Clear Bank as well? Sure. So um, I've been in financial services for nearly 20 years now. Um, and a lot's obviously changed in that time period, uh, both in really large global organisations and also most recently a clear bank, which uh, today is primarily a UK-focused uh, organisation, albeit with global expansion on its horizon, and focus on uh, kind of really the fintech community and embedded banking and clearing. Uh, and prior to that, at Silicon Valley Bank for um, quite some time, again, supporting the innovation ecosystem. So kind of really uh, excited about both financial crime budget spend, but also uh, some of those changes in the industry driving that. Well, thank you for that introduction. So we're covering budget. And of course, a main to- a big yeah. topic there is like budget sign off. So you've been in professional services for 20 years, and I'm sure you've seen that, you know, especially compliance budgets and AML budgets have increased year over year. So just to get started, have your compliance and AML budget increased this year compared to 2023? It has, <laughs> which probably <laughs> won't come as a giant surprise uh, and definitely follows that trend. Um, and I think over that period, as I say, being in financial services for that time, that's definitely a trend I've seen over that period. And also changes in some of that spending, not just kind of on the staffing side, but kind of investments in training and education and increased tooling. And I think the technology and tooling area in particular is kind of driving some of that that increased spend as people look to automate and improve uh, existing processes. So we will get into the details about the spend later, but let's just take a step back. And what is the process of a financial crime budget being signed off? Uh, so it's pretty different for each organization, but there are some similarities I think that both people share. Um, I look at it a lot around the informal and the the formal process. And so if you like, it all comes from and starts with the strategy of the company and what the company is looking to achieve that year. So is it in growth phase? Is it in a stabilization phase? Is it in wind down? And that will affect a lot about how you're planning for your year in, in financial crime or in risk in general in terms of the budgeting process. 
And then there's a lot around where you are from maturity uh, perspective in terms of where are the slightly weaker areas where perhaps you didn't invest last year and that might drive um, a slightly different prioritization for the year. But ultimately, in terms of how you get that signed off and the buy-in internally, I look at it through, there's the informal and the formal process. And for me, the informal process is long before you get to a kind of numbers conversation and you're going through the formal sign-off process and the roll-ups, it's really about how do you get people bought in and excited about your plans for financial crime, for example, and how do you get them to buy into the strategy that you're proposing for that area in terms of development? And then hopefully when it comes down to the actual numbers piece of it, people are already kind of bought into that direction of travel and how that fits with the company's strategy. So sort of the informal organizational navigation, stakeholder buy-in, and also stakeholder inputs, they feel like they share in in the kind of responsibility um, and also the desire for that spend. And then the formal part, which is your classic uh, kind of finance, uh, typically finance process, where you're going through all of the things that you're looking uh, to do in the course of that year, whether you need to grow your staff numbers, your maintenance spend, your run rate exiting uh, the prior financial year um, and adding that growth and then kind of rolling it all up into there for what's the overall ask, how it compares to last year and going through what is often a number of layers of sign off and then inevitably usually a little bit of negotiation around the total number at the end. All right. So it's, you know, informal process, formal process, rolls all the way up. And you did say your budget increased, but did you get the budget you wanted this year or was the negotiations at the end, uh, you know, hard. <laughs> I think there's always a scenario where if it was available, you could spend more, particularly in some of these areas. There's so much growth. It's, it's so dynamic and it's changing. And there is always um, a kind of desire to have more, if you like, um, which I don't think is completely unique to financial crime. Or to no, I think that's general. <laughs> a general uh, that's a general budget thing, I think. Exactly. You'd always want more if you could have it. There's also a reality check, which is, can I spend it uh, wisely? So, you know, even if you gave me 2x what I had, can I spend it in a way that's meaningful? Or am I just uh, kind of really a little bit of a triumph of optimism over reality? And so... So for me, in terms of what's really important, yeah, absolutely, uh, kind of complete support, again, using the informal process to get that buy-in along the way. And I'm not sure if you are even allowed to share the overall budget number, but are you? Uh, probably not at this point. Also, the way we do budgeting is slightly different. Again, different organizations do it slightly differently. So some uh, financial crime teams own the tooling, for example. Others mm, yeah. have it in their technology groups. There'll be operations, kind of financial crime. And we, although we look at it from a, I have my allocation of budget. And I, again, I think this is true. It is much more about what the spend is overall in the organization as to whether, rather than whether I own something or not. And I think that's an important part because really this isn't a financial crime function or department issue. This is a kind of organizational issue. It's just we're often the ones leading the charge on it because we have a responsibility on behalf of the firm. Makes sense. So before we move on to like breaking down the spend, a final question here, and that is, you know, according to Compliance Professionals UK, nothing fails faster or looks worse to the regulator than an understaffed, underfunded compliance department. So what are the consequences of not getting the budget right? Uh, pretty big, <laughs> uh, very yeah, pretty big. And um, firstly, as uh, you rightly point out, that can lead to um, a scrutiny from the regulators, including specific asks around um, 
you need to add more to this or you need to invest in that. And obviously there's a, I'll call it an, an extra overhead where you need um, that reporting ongoing to the regulators on your progress on it. And also no one likes to be told that you have to do something and because it mm. usually means you should have done something a while ago. So the consequences are big. And as we've seen in uh, some of the headlines, there are also scenarios where that can actually stop your business growth. So if you've underinvested, we've seen regulators, for example, take action where they've stopped people on board new clients. That's pretty catastrophic to your growth plans for the year because you've underinvested. So it's really important to strike that balance. And equally, as I said um, earlier, but also making sure that you use it wisely. So having a great big budget and they're not really delivering much also looks almost as bad as underinvesting in it. But it's it's really important to get that balance right and deliver the outcomes that you're looking for. So you got the budget, it has increased and Let's look at the spend breakdown. So there are a lot of categories if you want to fight financial crime or in general, it's, you know, technology and tooling, it's staffing, it's training, it's awareness campaigns, consultancies, maybe community, etc. All these different breakdowns. So how do you think about your budget in terms of these different categories? Are there anywhere you are really investing this year? Are they equally spent? Like, how are you going about this? I think a lot looking at, I'll call it material areas investment in tooling and technology in particular. Certainly, you need staffing, obviously, to support many of those processes. But in particular, automation of manual processes is a really big part. Uh, And also looking for more sophisticated, more scalable solutions on the technology side. So, for example, in, in there are certain areas like sanction screening, for example, and we all know that things like the Russia-Ukraine conflict drives a huge amount of sanctions risk into organizations. And that not only places demands on your existing technology, but also has an added staff increase usually associated with it. So you need to get smarter about how you do those things as you grow, um, but also because things are changing in the industry. So a lot of investment in uh, upgrading or relooking at manual processes being automated, Uh, new technology solutions for kind of core or critical processes. And then a lot on, if I say staffing, making sure that we've got the right skills and where we're growing, and in particular, uh, ClearBank is a very fast-growing organization. What new capability and skills do we need in with that growth that we don't have today? So it's not just the kind of numbers piece, it's also the capabilities that we're bringing in. So those are probably the two the two biggest areas. Some of those other areas that you touched on are, you know, training, for example, is still part of that. Those are probably the, the kind of two biggest areas in terms of increases, if you like. You mentioned, obviously, the um, ongoing war in Ukraine and all of the sanctions that come out of that. How can you budget for that? Because we don't know what will come this year in 2024. There's a big upcoming election in the US <laughs> that might really impact the sanctions policy of the US, which will trickle down, obviously, into financial institutions. So how do you set aside a budget for sanctions? Uh, It's a great question, because uncertainty is the biggest thing that's definitely sure (laughs) is going to happen. So there are some areas um, like sanctions where some of this, uh, I'll call it these events, there's been versions of it going on for the last couple of years. And so there are some where it's not necessarily about net new, it's more about making sure you're fit for dealing with that change in an adaptable environment. So, for example, with companies, particularly smaller fintechs, quite often they will be doing things like sanction screening on manual spreadsheets. 
Um, yeah. Now that that feels okay when you're small because you you know you don't necessarily have the budgets to invest in a shiny fancy automated screening for every overnight uh, process for it. Um, and when lists are not changing very much, that feels okay too. But as you grow, that becomes less and less sustainable, not just from a staff perspective to run the manual process, but also you just simply can't get the efficiency and the speed that you need to deal with the changing environment. So I think to some extent, looking at how do you manage for that? Firstly, is looking at how scalable and changeable and adaptable are your existing areas, be it through technology or people, and how quickly are those able to adapt to something that moves quite fast, like we saw. And that might the answer to that might be, yes, it's okay. And actually, we can deal with quite a lot of change before we kind of reach a breaking point. And other areas you, you might look at and say, we're kind of already getting towards the point where it's, it, it is a little bit tricky and therefore we need to invest. And this is the point where, and you have that choice to make, do I do an incremental or do I, I try and leapfrog and kind of go for, go for the bigger thing that's going to see me through for a longer term? What's like the top biggest leapfrog investment decision you're going to make this year? Uh, probably in sanctions. We did some, uh, I would say, leapfrog type investments in transaction monitoring for many of the same reasons. Uh, but sanctions is a big area. Um, and again, because of, I'll call it, and again, ClearBank being a very fast growing organization, our goal is to scale really quickly um, and be a really critical part of uh, supporting kind of other fintechs and other financial institutions in their payment processing. And with a company that like us, that is payment processing at great volume, you need a really robust super scalable and very efficient and effective sanction screening tooling and therefore as we look ahead to our kind of growth ambitions that being pretty ambitious you want something that can meet those ambitions and you want to invest now rather than wait until it becomes something that you have to do versus wanting to do makes uh, makes a lot of sense and i'm sure a lot of other organizations is going to invest heavily in sanctions this year as well what is one of the often overlooked things or essentials in a financial crime budget that you think, you know, people overlook but should pay more attention to? We talk quite a lot about systems and investing in systems. I think there's two other kind of areas that often once you, when you've done some of that investment, you realize you probably should have built some of that in. And I think one of them is process improvement. So there are some processes that you, that are just going to be manual and there's kind of a limit to how much you can perhaps automate. Now AI might change that, but how do you make those processes more efficient uh, and more effective without kind of the need for sort of full automation? So that's one area that's often overlooked in, in terms of investing in that kind of change expertise and resource to do that. And the second is workflow and case management tooling. So if you have all these fantastic in your FinCrime environment, automation solutions and they're very rarely through a single provider so you end up with a kind of little patchwork of what a sanctions tool and a transaction monitoring tool and a risk assessment tool and uh, then i've got an investigations tool but all of those systems need to work together as one with a person sitting there and so that kind of thing that brings all of that information together so you can look at it holistically and also that helps you manage that workflow particularly again as many organizations as they grow are looking to have kind of centralized uh, areas to support that that are maybe not geographically located in the same place. You've got to be really efficient at the handoffs um, and the way that you are 
delivering kind of those processes, if you like, across disparate systems. And I think often that comes late in the day when you realize, oh, I've got all these great systems, but now I've got really manual process to extract all of the data out of them to build one picture of the client. And I have to hand off our email, for example. And then you realize, oh, actually should have been should have been looking at workflow and case management. I could not agree with you more on there. I think that Investing in automation is going to be huge in the years to come, going away from this manual way of working and turning AML compliance from from something manual to an automated winner, so to say. So you set with the budget or you know, planning process and you know, we can't every we can't do everything at once. And as you say, there is a limit to how much you could spend. Did you have any one of those like, oh, should it be this? Or this and it was a really hard choice where to kind of invest this year probably less so on the big ticket items so on the biggest areas of spend uh, I think that was that was fairly straightforward I think then on the I'll call it this the second level priorities then it's a really difficult one because the the news I'll call it the business case or the reason for doing it is pretty even and then you're really looking at which one feels like the more important priority. And some of that is around the context of the organization. So I, I often look at it within ClearBank, for example, is when is the right time for this piece of investment um, or this piece of spend, particularly if you're trying to move something on. So you, you need to make sure that the organization is ready for it. Everyone always wants to invest in a GRC system. And GRC is going to solve the world problems. And that's great. But if your organization isn't ready for it, you just have a really expensive piece of your uh, budget that you've spent on something that people aren't ready to use because you don't have the supporting processes. So I think the second kind of, if you like, the second tier priorities or second order priorities was the more difficult conversation because there's a lot more of them and they're less obvious by their nature of being second order. This February, we're asking KYB My Valentine. The podcast connecting AML, compliance and financial crime to the real world is hosting our first ever live onstage recording from the UK capital. We're recording The Laundry Live on February 8th at Shoreditch Studios, bringing you killer keynotes, expert guests, hot takes and networking too. If you can make it to London, we'll also be streaming the whole thing on February 9th on YouTube. Go check out the links in the podcast description to get your free ticket to this event or to sign up to our live stream. Choose us this Valentine season. So staffing, people, that's like obviously a huge part of any budget and investing in those people and training them. And I know you're passionate about that. So when it comes to staffing and personnel at any level in a financial crime prevention, what are some of the key characteristics compliance professionals should be looking for? Yes, so I am passionate about it because a big part of my budget goes on people. Uh, And so actually getting that right is a really big part of whether any of the spend and anything that we do is successful. Uh, And so I really look for people who are curious and passionate Uh, So passionate about what they do um, and passionate about the organization too, uh, because it's kind of relevant to your day to day um, and really curious. And that particularly comes in, uh, you know, when we're looking at what do we do next? Where do we invest? What's most important? And that curiosity and kind of desire to do better, uh, to ask great questions, to think, be commercial in their decision making around it and really effective communicators in the way that they work with uh, their stakeholders across the business because I think as we touched on at the beginning things like the informal budget process is a lot about influencing and stakeholder management and whilst technical expertise is great 
you're often communicating to non-compliance professionals and therefore communicating to them in a language in a way that they understand and kind of support you is really important. I think that carries on through kind of with your whole role. And the days, I think, perhaps back at the beginning of my career, uh, when compliance people sat and they never spoke to anyone in the business in the, in the first line, those days are long gone now. And in successful organizations, I think there's very much an integration and a collaboration between those two functions. So there's core skills, communication and balance, pragmatism, and also uh, influencing is, is really key, both in terms of people that you're hiring, but also the people and the way you're developing and investing in their personal development and training. Yeah, I'm not sure people outside of financial crime prevention know this, but compliance professionals, and it's one of the like fastest working professions in Europe the last 10 years or so, because there's just so many people working with this now after it was put on the agenda. So it's really important to train those people who have decided to pursue a career in that. So I could not agree more with that. And we live in the age of AI. So I'm going to ask you, do you have a budget line item that says AI for financial crime prevention? Not AI specifically, but I think what we're finding is there are AI opportunities in lots of different places. And that that's kind of the more interesting part. So, so not a line item saying AI, but I'd say a piece of budget that talks about in particular area for problem solving how might we use AI to help us kind of gain an advantage, if you like, in that area? So, for example, uh, and I think this is kind of true across a number of providers, but in the transaction monitoring world, where you're looking at lots and lots of transactions in the system, the use of machine learning and AI can really help you be smarter about what's most important in, in amongst all of that noise. Um, and so I'd say that the AI part is kind of almost the extra lift um, on many of those kind of solutions and processes that might give you uh, the efficiency, but also the edge in terms of staying ahead uh, and also staying as fast paced as the external environment currently is. This is a good segue to like the next topic, you know, experimentation and the future of uh, financial crime uh, prevention budget. So AI obviously will be part of the future somehow. I think everyone agrees that 2023 wasn't the year when compliance professional got their workday transformed by Gen AI. So we're still waiting, but there's so many, you know, a lot of things to that, that it can help improve. So in addition, you know, you have some budget for AI, but in general, how do you, how much of the budget is kind of set aside for experimentation and for new tools or processes, et cetera? Uh, I'd say, I think it's gotten better. I think historically there was always a bit of an aversion within sort of compliance and financial crime budgets for uh, experimentation. It was all about kind of the known and the trusted and reliable. And there, there was probably a little bit of inertia there. I'd say increasingly, and again, particularly as you look to try to get an edge over what's going on in the external environment and to some extent your competitors, that's becoming kind of more of an area where, given the size of the budgets, given the complexity, given the consequences of getting it wrong, people are looking for kind of those pockets of, can we run trials? Can we experiment with something to get try and get something different rather than just kind of go back to the sort of tried and tested methods, which we all know work, but they're probably not going to be the game changers. And that doesn't mean investing, you know, 50% of your budget in one particular 
you know, all your eggs in one basket. It's much more about doing the use cases and proofs of concept to see if there's something in it that might be worth exploring more. And that's certainly how we've been looking at, for example, the AI piece, which is where can we, in a, in a safe way, because we're still financial services and we have to be safe, where can we use kind of proof of concepts to sort of test out the effectiveness and the kind of real value or add to the organization as a whole of some of these new technologies. And I think increasingly, it feels like that's likely to be a trend as people try to do differently. You did touch up on something there that I thought was interesting. You said turning, you know, AML compliance into a competitive advantage. You mentioned that term. And uh, this week, Danske Bank, Danish bank in Norway, they announced that they are now adding AML fees to their uh, large corporate. So if you are a Norwegian large corporate, you got to pay $500 per KYC check and a thousand if you have owners outside of Norway. So quite straightforward. And it sparked some debate because suddenly like, oh, will running a very efficient AML process be a competitive advantage because you don't have to charge or will it be a competitive advantage on who charges like the most because we take financial crime very seriously or the least because, you know, all these things. How or do you see a pathway where AML, financial crime prevention, can turn from a cost center to a competitive advantage. I do. And I, I think uh, to some extent, because we always had those costs, but were they transparent to everybody? Probably not. And, you know, people have so, such flexibility on pricing that their ability to kind of price differently based on risk, but it not being transparent was probably something that was happening before. This is far more explicit and transparent. And there's a, there's a value to that. Uh, and we all know that, again, there's been mass exits from certain higher risk segments. So does that open the door, for example, to, again, people investing in some of those areas where traditionally they've said, actually, you know, it's there's a lot of effort for a lot of risk there. And how can we make the risk reward balance right? Well, charging potentially is one of those ways that you could. But it also makes you focus more potentially, again, assuming that you've worked out what your cost to serve is. If you can get that cost to serve down then you have a big advantage over your competitors still doing it safely but can you make that more efficient less manual and if you can and we've seen that with some of the um, a lot of the b2c fintech community they often serve and they do these things very cheaply and we've seen them in the market and how is because they've automated so many of their processes their cost to serve is so much lower than perhaps an incumbent who still does, hasn't digitized their full customer journey and so we see that a little bit already in how they're competing, but it's not very transparent necessarily as to as to how they're doing that. I think in that kind of cost to serve, and then how much does it cost for a different risk types of client to onboard and then to serve them, and therefore kind of what's the overall value? I think that will help uh, use AML and financial crime budgets and even and compliance to an extent as a, it, we have to get that that right for the right size. And if you work that cost out, then A, you know if your charging is right, if you are going to charge, or it makes you, um, forces you to think about kind of that efficiency better. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot of value in looking at that in terms of driving down uh, costs and improving efficiency whilst keeping effectiveness. So do you think in the future, then transparent charges on, you know, customer onboarding cost, for instance, that you charge like Danske Bank did and then cover you think of budget in a different way, like, okay, we will be charging our customers specifically for AML. Okay, now we get this revenue stream and it covers all of the costs instead of just being, okay, it's just a cost center now. Do you think that's the trend? 
more and more banks will do the same? I think there'll be some that do. I, I think the, the, some of the others will not. Um, and again, I think some of those costs are already not deliberately hidden, but absorbed in other costs. So for example, if they're pricing account fees a certain way and transactions a certain way, that may well include already, I'll call it that cost of compliance in it. And so does that give you an opportunity to transparently price for risk and then reduce the cost of other services. That's ideally kind of where, where you get the, the transparency is good. So people know why and how and everything else. And also it's reflective of that particular company and what they're doing with you. Um, why I'm not sure that will take off is because uh, there's there'll be, a, a and I think as has um, been seen, there's a reaction to that when something like that changes in terms of the dynamic and the structure. And that might mean there's a, there's a kind of watch and see from other people in the market. Yeah, we'll wait and see what 2024 holds. But um, financial crime prevention, it's all about preventing criminals from accessing our financial system and doing bad deeds. So ideally, you wouldn't see any crime because you have prevented it all. But is there like any budget that can put compliance professionals ahead of the criminal and get to that state? Or is it there will always be someone who sneaks in through the controls. I think there's probably a reality that um, the criminals, if you like, the money launderers that are doing this, that's their whole business. Their entire effort, all their people, all their brain power is entirely dedicated to that one activity. And they're not worrying about how much time or how much money they spend on financial crime budgets as compared to the entire organization budgets. That's their whole focus. And so I think it's pretty hard to get ahead of them uh, in that sense, I, you know, you could throw money at it, but I suspect they're still always going to try to be one step ahead because that's their sole focus. However, I do think, um, and I think lots of people are very heavily focused, you can really stay on par and certainly be react very quickly and adapt very quickly to changing dynamics. And I think we see some of this with things like, for example, the authorised push payment fraud scams effectively in the UK. Uh, and we've seen a huge amount of effort across the industry to try to get ahead of people who are perpetuating that scam in particular for the protection consumers. I don't know that anyone would say that despite all of that investment, have we cracked it? No, because uh, it's, still, it's still active and there's, there's smart, really smart, new different ways of circumventing all the controls and all the spend that banks are putting into preventing that. And I think the reality is in some of those areas like um, authorised push payment scams, financial services alone can't solve for all of that. And it has to be a coordinated effort across law enforcement agencies and frankly, online technology firms who have a part to play in in some of this activity too. So online marketplaces and social media companies as well. And so I think it's really always going to be a collective effort. And together, I think we could get ahead of it. But as an, as an individual industry, that we're only one part of the puzzle. And I think that's where you're always going to need all of that cooperation to come together, which I don't think we've achieved yet in the industry in order to really kind of crack some of this and and feel like we're ahead of the game. I couldn't agree more. And that is why the work that compliance professionals and Financial crime prevention people do really matters in the real world. That's the work that banks do. The work that you and your team do actually have a huge impact and it greatly improves society for everyone if we're able to keep our financial institutions as clean as possible and as stable as possible. 
And with that, that brings this spin of the laundry to an end. Emma, thank you so much for joining me. I really liked our conversation. Where can people find out more about you and connect with you? Uh, yeah, thank you. It's been lovely. Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn, Emma Hagen, uh, Chief Risk and Compliance Officer at ClearBank. You can also find me via our website at www.clear.bank. And thank you to everyone who is listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to go check out the back catalog and follow The Laundry on your podcast platform of choice or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please also leave a review. It's really helpful and it helps other people as well to find out about The Laundry. To get in touch with The Laundry team, you can comment on the Strice LinkedIn page, email us at laundry at strice.ai or find me on LinkedIn or email me as well, marit at strice.ai. Your host for this episode was me, Marit. Our producer was Matthew. Our engineers were Nicholas and Dominic. The Laundry is proudly produced by Strice, the AML automation cloud. If you're looking for an effective AML solution for your organization, you should go visit strice.ai. See you the next time. Money makes a world go